the TARDIS. Wait and see if those bandaged fools follow me in there. Oh no! What on earth are you doing in here? What on earth am I do what on earth am I doing in here? How preposterous. More to the point, who and what are you doing in here? Phoebe Curly Aaron. Looks like there's been a time slip. Bet it was Rose or Jack again. I was getting crumbs on the console, those two. Are you a time lord? Yes, I am. But you're dressed like you should be taking out the rubbish. Keep your hair on, Curly. Otherwise that scarf might be going where the sun don't shine. How incredibly hostile. Are you under control by Sutek? Sutek? Oh, fantastic. There's a blast from the past. Or probably your present. You're a very strange individual. Would you please explain what you've done to my TARDIS? I've improved it. All that white? Gotta give me a good complex, Curly. Oh no, it's the mummies. We must dematerialize. But a lot of good that'll do. I belong in your future. But you can't lead me to my impending doom. Don't worry, Curly. Davros could outrun that lot sitting down. Hey, before I go, try this little question out on Sutex boys. It'll drive them crazy. Are you my mummy? Breaking the laws of time for the sake of a cheap joke. I think those who's on Target Boys put him up to it. Nice chap, though. Hope he doesn't make a habit of leaving too soon. I suppose I'll never know unless I try. Over here! You two! Yes, you two! In the bandages! Are you my mummy? Yes! <laughs> Are you my mummy? How fantastic! What a wonderful word! I'll have to use it again in the future. Bye bye! I'm Terence Sticks. Welcome to Who's on Target. Welcome to Who's on Target, the podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who books from the 1970s and 80s. If you missed Doctor Who on TV in those pre-DVD days, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the Target novelization. So, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth, and join us as, with a wheezing, groaning sound, we discuss, analyse and reminisce who's on target. Welcome to Who's on Target. Hello, this is Alex Gibbons from Exeter. This is Michael from Swansea. And this is Greg from Swansea. On this podcast, we are reviewing Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars, written by Terence Dix, and the audio version read by Tom Baker. In a Victorian Gothic mansion, strange things are afoot. The master of the house, away in Egypt, has been replaced by a sinister Egyptian. Cloth-wrapped mummies roam the grounds, killing people. Beneath the pyramid... The last of the Osirians, Sutek the Destroyer, waits to be freed, to at long last bring his gift of death to all who live. Alex, would you like to start us off with your thoughts? Well, I thought it was absolutely excellent. It's an extremely well-written book. It's got a great plot. It's got loads of really good action, and it sort of keeps going from start to finish. There's, There's lots of sort of 
thinking points in it as well. It's, it sort of looks like a sort of doyon sort of Egypt and sort of mummies and all the sort of things you'd expect from that sort of period. But I think there's a lot going on under the surface with, as per normal with Terence Dix's sort of writing. Yes, Alex. Um, I was, earlier on, Mike was, uh, he, he said to me, what sort of mark are you hovering about? Which um, I won't say yet. But all I can say is it's right up the top of the scale, you know. It's yeah, be... I, won't say, I won't say either. Well, I was the same. I, I, yeah. I listened to the audiobook and I sat there and thought, can I think, is there anything wrong with it? And I couldn't physically find one thing that annoyed me. Right, no, no. I, I thought it was, um, as you say, it's typical Terence Dix. It's absolutely story-packed, going through, fast-paced. There's so much going on. Um but I don't know, Mike, if you had a problem with that, though, did you? The only point I want to make is Tom Baker reading it adds so much to it. Oh, yeah. Now, how would I feel if I read the novel rather than just the novel and the audiobook? Right, right. I know it's, you're, you're a big fan of it since you were a child, Greg, because you read this oh, one yeah. when you were younger. Absolutely. Perhaps, I don't know if it's a good opportunity for me to say, but um, this one has got a special place in my heart because um, my when I was eight years old, I... I I couldn't read basically. I didn't go to school much and I couldn't read. And uh, my sister bought me two books for my eighth birthday to try and encourage me to read. One of them was Space 1999, which was uh, the big TV series at the time, which I enjoyed. And the other one was Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars. Now I read about four or five pages of Space 1999 and it was okay. And then I opened The Pyramids of Mars. And I didn't stop. I, even though I had to read each word out slowly with my finger and so forth, I read the whole thing. I absolutely loved it. And uh, that was the start of my love of Doctor Who Target books. Fantastic. What a great story. Girl. Brilliant. That is brilliant. Uh, and you actually, um, I remember you actually thanked Terence Dix. We met Terence Dix at, at an event in January. Yes. In Aberystwyth, South Wales. And you actually thanked him for that personally. And he seemed he seemed quite emotional, quite choked. Yes, he did. When you that. told him that story, didn't you? Yeah, he? especially when I said that um, I couldn't read and it was through his books. And that I eventually ended up as being an English teacher, which seems bizarre. But it was all through Terence Dix's books. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, would you like to sort of add a bit more, Alex, about um, the sort of themes running through the book? Well, yeah, because you've got basically the sort of basic layer of e- of Egyptology and sort of Egypt and all the sort of myth of the sort of gods and monsters there, which gets the Terence Dix twist of them all being sort of aliens from another dimension, which is brilliant. And then you've got, I, I sort of thought there was a sort of underline of sort of 1970s or nuclear holocaust, you know, when the Doctor takes um, Sarah to the world that Sutek would have made it and everything was dead. That's interesting, actually, because I've got that in my note, uh, Alex, as well, that uh, one of my favourite lines in the book at the beginning of the chapter when the Doctor takes her, the, the part you're mentioning, and he says, he, the, the description that Terence Dix writes is, it was a vision of hell, something like that, it was in a landscape. And a yeah, he says there's, you know, there's no people, there's no fish, no animals. Oh, that's right, yeah, that that's that's a superb image to, to put across there, isn't it? Really horrifying. Uh, uh, I don't think what else is, because it, it, it's sort of a very basic concept of, you know, sort of, a miss, sort of a murder in a sort of house, and then being a lot more than it is, like Terence Dix always does. Yeah, there's like, a little, there's, it's that, that era of, 
Doctor Who we call gothic horror, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the first it's, one of the of the the gothic horror ones. It's the house in the woods, and it's the fact that it's it's set because the, at the beginning the Doctor and Sarah are aiming for a unit, aren't they? Headquarters, and they go back. What is it? Fifty years earlier in time. Yeah, and yeah. This, this is when the whole sort of issues with Suteka are occurring, and that's. Do you know it's interesting actually? Um, did you just say, Alex, that? Um, this is the first of the gothic heroines uh, from the... I, I think it is, because oh. you've got this, and I think this is the first one that Robert Holmes and, um, I always forget his name, um, did together. I think this is the first one they did, and then you had Brain and Morbis, which is the Frankenstein sort of yeah. parody. Yeah. Horror, Fang Rock, and Tal- yeah. Talons, yes. Wang Chang. Yeah, so this is, this is the, 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 the first of the series, which quite possibly the most loved era in Doctor I think so the you know the we hear that the ratings were through the roof then Tom was at his peak really wasn't he oh absolutely definitely, definitely. but I, I think there was quite a bit of controversy because it was sort of horror meets Doctor Who and people were used still to the sort of cut more cuddly John Pertwee era I think yeah but also I think mixed with sci-fi because that that opening that prologue is superb oh. setting up it Dix goes into so much depth at the same time Putting it in simplistic language for a younger audience, but it goes into so much depth about Sutek's history with the Osirians. It's a oh, that's, what, that's what I love about it. It's just that first sort of whole chapter gives you a really sort of in-depth outlook of of the whole, the, you know, their race, where where they come from, the connection to Egypt. It's just brilliant. And you go from you go from like the vastness of space to that first chapter in the claustrophobic nature of the tomb, don't you? And this, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the overtaking of Marcus Garman happens. Yeah. That, it's, that... Quite, it's quite horrifyingly written, really, I can imagine, for a young mind. Yeah, absolutely. The possession. It is, isn't it? I know it's quite interesting you say that, Mike, because I like that. It, it is. We're out in space and this vast universe and these godlike creatures, and then all of a sudden it it's like the TARDIS suddenly landing in this provincial house in the countryside with, with the mummies around him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? What, what a great prologue. But, you know, it's interesting as well that you said, Alex, that um, about the prologue, because when our first Terence Dix one we read, I think, which was The Abominable Snowmen, yeah. he, he did the same thing in that, didn't he? He put in this prologue of um, the, Professor Travers, wasn't it? And this this idea of him when he was being rebuked by the scientific society. And he's dreaming of it, isn't he's he? He's dreaming he of it. I, I think it's just a great method he has of thinking, well, I've got this ginormous idea and I better give it a bit of background, give it a history, and it does it so well. You know, you, you've got it all in about probably a couple of pages in the book where it's like first chapter and it just gives you everything. It gives a whole back history of their race, why they're there, and the whole sort of, you know, what, what's going to happen, basically. I, I think it's just very well written. Yeah, and what strikes me then is then he has the the opening scene in the TARDIS, and we have a bit of humour. You know, uh, it's described as the Doctor is described as this ang- angular, tall man looking over the console, and it's fair, slight girl walks in. I think that's how Dix describes her, and he says, "Oh, hello, Victoria," oh, and it's obviously yes. Sarah Jane. But then he he takes the time to explain who Victoria was, and you get you, you get a few lines of explaining her time in the TARDIS and. He mentions when the Doctor dropped her off out of her time, when her time to travel with him ended, and you know, yeah, it's so descriptive, but in in short, snappy bites, I, I which like would that. be quite yeah. easy for a youngster to understand, I think. Yeah, who didn't, yeah. who perhaps didn't have the knowledge as a lot of a lot of people didn't. We were interviewing a gentleman later called Cameron in this podcast who um who mentions much the same thing. You get more of a background of the Doctor, the fact he can change. Perhaps if you were a child, as you were in the seventies, as Cameron was, Greg. Yeah, um, this gives you. 
a wider knowledge of the show, which he didn't have when he didn't have DVDs on demand yeah. and instant access to movies and old episodes like we do today. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I just wonder, with the, um, with the older sort of regenerator, so you had more time to get to grips with the regenerator, where today it seems very... You know, we go through quite a few doctors at the moment, don't we? we you know, we yeah. must have had... I mean, yeah. we had well, on the fourth in, in ten years now, aren't we? And four in ten years. I suppose if you think been... about it, though, I think Hartnell came in in 1963, Tom Baker in 74, so we're only one year out, 11 years to ten. Yeah, you know, that, I think, that is true. It just, I think just... what you mean, Alex, is because we get less editors nowadays. That's that's definitely yeah, true. definitely. Yeah. It feels, you know, you get longer gaps these days, so there's more... Time to adjust to it, I suppose. Yes, yeah, yeah. But e- e- even though um, I still think going back to the storytelling part of it, um, you know, it does fire your imagination because Terence, he, he, okay, he's using the same tricks, if you like, the same types of things, but that's because he knows what to do to get the story across, to get the action going, to get people's imagination and keep them going. I think you mentioned on the last podcast, Greg, his his idiom really is story, 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 isn't it? Yes, yes, that's, that, that's definitely. But he's, I think he undersells himself in terms of action because because he writes action so well. Yeah, I, I think he, so. he has the perfect balance of action and dialogue. Yeah, so yeah, but have. definitely, definitely, because I think there are two. You know, I'll probably mention it later. But I think there are just those two bits that stand out so well, and it's because when the doctor's taking the you know the defence thing down with the the, the urns with Sarah. And that's so sort of on your edge of your seat, thinking, is, is he going to get blown up or not? And the same with the Jelly Knight in the in the poacher's uh, heart. Yes, yes, yeah. There's a, there's some there's a, some great scenes in there. Well, classic scenes right throughout, aren't there? There's a, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know one of my first ones? I remember. I remember reading it in the book. Is when they're in the TARDIS and the image of Sutek first appears. Um, and Sarah says, "There's some sort of horrendous creature just coming." And I remember reading it, and uh, with because uh, the doctor says nothing can enter the TARDIS. But then, when many many years later, I actually saw the actual TV episode when Tom Baker does that, and he says nothing can enter the TARDIS. He's I didn't read it was such a forceful, fantastic job, you know. So there's, there's a, it can be a huge difference, can't there, in in the written word and seeing how it's done. Yeah, and even Tom doesn't sort of read it that sort of violently in the audiobook does he he doesn't it's no. more sort of restrained in there and um, he, yeah he has a good he has a good levels in the audiobook tom does he but then there's that one moment where they have the yeah. standoff with sutek towards the end of the book and really tom really goes for it then oh. i thought he was gonna oh, burst yeah. a blood vessel yeah yeah he did it's just superb it's just tom what can you say the man could read a phone book and make it interesting. <laughs> I like that too. Alex, what did you think of Tom? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fairly the same. I thought it was really well read. It's Tom, you know, whatever he reads is brilliant. Yeah. But it just, it does a little niggle is he's not great on women's voices. So Sarah's were always a bit interesting. Well, it was still really good. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, I kind of disagree a little bit because I had a little refresher lesson earlier this week. And I actually thought he, he sort of captured Sarah Jane's sort of oh. tone and intonation. Really? Not, not in a direct sort of imp- impersonative way, imp- impressionist no. way. But oh, that, I just think, yeah, I just think, so I, I definitely have Liz in mind when he was speaking the words. You know, I think he, he definitely has. Her he was, he reined it in a little bit for her. He had his sarcasm. He had a, his spirit. Sorry, Alex, say that again. So, so say again, say what, like the Mike just said, he definitely has her sort of feisty spirit and point of her character in his voice. So it, it's pretty good, I'd say. That's only a little niggle on my front. I think it's what you're saying, Mike. He does. He doesn't sound like 
Sarah Jane, but what he does is he knows how she said it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I noticed that because knowing the story, the TV story quite well, I I picked up that he was obviously remembering how they did it. And the characters written, they have a great relationship, don't they? That Doctor and Companion, that's why they're so popular. Yeah. Different groups of fans, they they know each other inside out. They have a a great sort of sense of humour. But I think it's a I think it's a different relationship to what we've you know you know what we've had before and the other sort of companions. It's not a sort of I'm learning something from the doctor. It's I'm an equal nearly. Yes. Yes, yeah. because we mentioned yeah. the the issue of um, sexism before in the podcast, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. You know this is this is the I think a lot a lot of the lady companions since have said Sarah Jane was the ultimate companion, the turning point. I'm glad you you both mentioned that actually because a female I, who's very yeah. confident in her own skin she does they, there's far more vulnerability about the earlier companion female companions I think female assistants yes I think so Mike I, I'm so glad you both brought that up because uh, it, it went straight over me I didn't think but of course this is how we, we've got a huge difference here from the last book which we read which was um, Joe Grant and the Third Doctor which was a completely different type of relationship. It's almost sort of uncle-niece, isn't it? You yes. know, perhaps even grandfather. Sorry, John, you're old. It, it uh... sort of goes It sort of goes back a little bit with Joe and the Doctor to the sort of how he was with his granddaughter. It's sort of, you know, oh, you're, yeah. you're a family member. I've got to look after you. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of that familial type relationship... How would you two just asking, thinking of the question? How would you two? How would you two? Sorry, define the Doctor and Sarah Jane. I almost think of the Doctor as perhaps a little brother. <laughs> right. I think there's a case for saying that. That's interesting. I, I, I think personally that they're a lot more equal, but there is still because you know he's a Time Lord and he's an alien. There is still that sort of slight edge of I am better. I know more than you, and I'm slightly different. But it's a more equal relationship than we've seen before. I think. Yes, he's, even though she knows that obviously he's um, far, far more uh, you know, superior to her intellectually and in his powers, but he doesn't talk down to her, does he? He doesn't treat her as if she is. You know, it's only on particular times. I mean, there's, there's a wonderful scene in there with the, with the Jalak Knight, isn't it? I think you mentioned it earlier, Mike, where the Jalak Knight is... is wet does it, how do they describe it what do they call uh, it sweaty sweaty that's right yeah yeah and um the way he says that and he's not talking down to her he's just letting her know this is what happens you need to be very careful could i actually change now and i come to think of it could i actually change my view of a familiar relationship i actually think their husband and wife have been together for many years and get oh. get on so well that they right. can sort of have this banter with each other have this yeah, sort of jokey relationship at times. What do you it, think? It's more. It's I see more someone, like company who are totally can. in love. I mean, I don't necessarily always like the concept of the doctor being in love with his companion, but uh, that's, the, like, that's the. I think it is more like the relationship we've had in the last couple of years with companions. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's elements of Clara, I suppose, and particularly the Capaldi Doctor. So, would you I say think. it's a, it's a bit of a precursor to the modern type one then? I think so. Yeah, because we do have the similarity with um, Rose. I mean, Sarah Jane is very much based on Earth. She's a working, practical person, and um, Rose was like that, isn't she? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but you can see. But you know, I think he's discussing more detail because you see when they bring more women in, like with, you know, with Nissa and Tegan, they did sort of slightly 
flip back to the old style. Yeah, so if you'd like to discuss that, please, please, we need to get more hits on on the uh, various forms of social media we have. We have we do. the Twitter handle, at Who's on Target, the Who's on Target Facebook page, Who's on Target at gmail.com email address, and the Who's on Target WordPress page. So discuss what you think of, a, of the relationship and how they develop between the Doctor and Companion through these Target novels. I'd please love, do. I'd, thank you, Mike. I'd love to hear some of our listeners' opinions. Uh, would you, Alex? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's always interesting to find out what they're thinking. Yeah, and you, Mike? Absolutely, yeah. Definitely love to hear from uh, all sectors of society on your thoughts on the Target books. Thank you very much. Could I could I mention um, a, a little bit more about this novel because the, it's um, it was actually written by um, a writer who it was then extensively rewritten by Robert Holmes. So it's really a Robert Holmes story. What, do you know much about this, Alex? Well, I I always thought from watching the um, the interviews on the DVD, well, it was always Robert. It was Robert Holmes's idea from start to finish. Oh, to it, beca- to it became a, a target, but it went over to Terence Sticks because he was. Is the, it written so, on the TV show as Robert Holmes, or is it? A, a, yeah, it's a definitely Robert, it's Robert Holmes, yeah. and I just remember it's Philip. Is it Hitchcliff? Hitchcliff is the yeah. Hitchcliff. That's those are the two who wrote it for the TV, and I have a feeling that they did their normal and passed it on to Terence for the target book. Right. Right. So it was a Philip Hinch... Uh, sorry, it was... Um, uh, um, oh, a Robert Holmes story, was it? Yeah, it was so Robert Holmes, it's definitely a Robert Holmes story. But right. Another one passed over to Terence, because, um, as you mentioned, I think in the last podcast, Robert Holmes tried to write a Target book or two and just gave up, apparently. So <laughs> Terence took over. He did, didn't he, Robert Holmes? Yes, yeah, he did. Uh... Can I? Yeah, can we um, sort of mention some of the uh, the other characters as well? I think we've concentrated a lot on Sarah Jane, haven't we? Um, yeah. What were your thoughts on the likes of um, Lawrence Scarman, the brother of Marcus, who's taken over by Sutek, and a few oh, of the, uh, the other I, 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 peripheral I characters? That, I found that really interesting, because it's, really, it's quite upsetting by the way he dies at the end. Yeah. Yeah, he does remember that famous scene Greg mentioned it earlier on in the actual TV story where we have Doctor Who stalwart Michael Sheard saying, you know, Marcus, you're my brother. And yeah. he, he delivers that so so emotionally. He does. I know, and then he goes and strangles him. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's quite it's, re, it's quite emotional. Isn't it? I remember it being... I, I always thought it was quite an intense story in, along those lines, you know, with this people being betrayed. I mean, there's... there's um, Dr. Warlock, their friend, who's trying to, um, you know, find out what's going on. He doesn't believe that this person's acting um, the way he always has acted. Um, There's lots of great characters in. I mean, I did wonder, maybe you could say they are, again, maybe some boys' own stereotypes. But I I don't, even if they are. They, they 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 get straight into character. We know who they are. It keeps the pace going, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely, De- definitely, definitely. And um, you know, I, I I just wonder with these more sort of the Egyptian characters. Is there is there a slight feeling of stereotyping there with the Egyptian? Yeah, characters? you think of people wearing fezes, don't you? And... Mike mentioned earlier um, Namin, the, the 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 Egyptian servant. I think a little bit of a stereotype. Do you think? I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. When I, when I listened to him read it, I thought he was always a bit of a you know typical Egyptian stereotype. At the Very time. loyal, isn't he? Very loyal. Yeah. You know, sort of that using that anger to but, see anybody who gets too close to you know yes. the truth about yeah. Sutek. But he did come across though as um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, with the old um, Hammer 
mummy films. But he oh, came, yes. Yes, yeah, but he came across as a sort of dedicated servant like that, didn't he? Yes, definitely. I, I, and I love the scene at the end where he says, look upon my face, um, is this the face of Sutek? And it's not, and he, he begs for to, to, to be allowed to live, doesn't he? And uh, what does he do? He puts blackened hands, did he burn him? It's basically, right, I think he, yes. he touches him and his whole hands turn to black, don't they? That's right, oh, yeah. Well, okay. Can I also mention one other thing about the book, is the, the idea of the time tunnel. Oh, yeah. In the, uh, what do we call the... Um, the sarcophagus, is it? The, is it a sarcophagus? The yeah, tomb, it was The sarcophagus. tomb there, taken in, and in the actual TV store you see all the different colours. Yes. Yeah, I just love the description of the time tunnel. I think it's, it's a wonderful phrase. I know it was yeah, the name yeah. of a TV show itself in the 60s, wasn't it? But yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Rolls off the tongue, time tunnel. Brilliant time tunnel. That's, that's a, the time tunnel is such a clever idea because, you know, it sounds and you know, it's really descriptive, but it also is a great way of tidying up how the mon- how the um, the monastery gets burnt to the ground because of the doctor not putting the right thing in, basically. Yes, and I love earlier on the book how the doctor comments... Um, you know, this place is when he first arrives um, back in the day at the place he actually yeah. mentions, doesn't he? Yes. Oh, this place could be used as a military place <laughs> some point in the future. Clever. That's how he sort of introduces yeah. himself to the characters in the book, isn't it? There are lots when of they clever, arrive at the Priory. There, there are lots of clever touches like that, though, Mike, aren't there? Yeah, and speaking of sort of endings, I love the fact this book has an epilogue. And, uh, which, is a, which is a very clever sort of good way of tidying up of it, I thought. Yes, I mean, I mentioned to Greg earlier on, that must have been so exciting as a child. Yeah. To read oh. that, to have that, you know, to have Sarah Jane in an adventure outside the book. We may yeah. be more used to it nowadays after K-9 and Company in the 80s and then Sarah Jane Adventures, but it must have been so exciting just to have something there that wasn't in the TV story. Well, I, I certainly, I loved it in the book. I don't think I knew any different because I don't know if I'd seen the TV series when, uh, I mean, I know, I do remember seeing it as a child, but I think the one I saw was, there was a compilation one put on a Christmas, I think it was. Oh, the, I yeah, the one heard I about saw, those. Yeah, because yeah. I remember being horrified because the bit that I really wanted to see where the gamekeeper is crushed by the mummies, they cut it out. Oh, no! Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was really looking forward is, to that. Is it on the DVD? You know? <laughs> it is on the DVD. It's on it. the DVD. The DVD is the full whole thing. It's all those bits Auntie all babe. There. Yes, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that it's that topping and tailing that Terence gives it, like the prologue and the epilogue, which you're talking about. It just gives it this wonderful universe you know of believability i think and the pacing i think the pacing is so very fast you know compared to what we've read by terence in the last two podcasts the abominable snowmen and carnival of monsters it is so fast paced but he manages to just weave it all together doesn't he he does he does keeps you interested keeps you engrossed which is helped in the audio version by tom's delivery as well i think yeah i i think so it's do you remember did you read this one as a as a child um alex uh, yeah, I did. I did. And it definitely, it was a definite pace. I do remember that. It was, it was kept you going from start to finish. Is what you always want with Terence Dick's book, basically. And, and it's just, it's just great. I think it has lots of things that just keep you going, going. Where you know, the last couple of audio things we have have been quite big chunks and quite long. Where this is only like four big chunks on the audio book, and it just keeps you involved with the whole thing. 
Yeah. Are we going to look at scores at all, or are we just jumped ahead a bit? Sorry. Could, Do you want um, to speak a bit more? Greg? Yeah. Sorry. Could I just mention a, a couple more things? I mean, I, I absolutely love this story. So it's an absolute classic. And uh, some some of the things which I noted in there, one one was, um, you know, we were talking about stereotypes earlier, and uh, we all agreed there were some stereotypes in there. But I think Terence Sticks acknowledges this because there's a scene in there where um, where Doctor Warlock when he confronts Namin about what's happened to Marcus, um, or Lawrence Scarman, rather. And um, Terence puts a description in saying that uh, Namin could see that he was the typical type of um, sort of self grandizing what was it, the of Englishman? What was that description he put in there? He was the sort of arrogant type. Englishman superiority Super- complex yeah, sort of thing. Su- yeah yeah the superior he had that about him that he had to give him an excuse to do something because he knew we just wouldn't stop otherwise <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good we police it? the world we yeah. shall police yes. the world you yeah. shall listen to us and I, and I think there's sort of British reference to Englishman in what all the costume what Marcus is wearing he's sort of out in Egypt wearing a proper suit and they mention the sort of yeah. school tie yes, yes it always reminds me of sort of Roger Moore in the James Bond films yes yeah out in the middle of India in a, in a suit and he is a midday <laughs> only mad dogs and englishmen go out in the midday, midday sun yeah they don't sweat they don't need the sweat yeah. can i say i love some of the the the, the names um scarman warlock they, they've got some great names in there and sutek of course. ernie clements oh maybe not brought back down to, uh, to earth by that now. we were um could I? Uh, oh, there's one thing I'd love to say. I don't know what you both thought of it, but that wonderful line in there where Sarah Jane says, when they're, they're in the house, oh, it's let's go and hide in here. There's a priest's hole. And the doctor says, a priest's hole in a Victorian Gothic folly? Nonsense. It's just such a classic line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They probably would have had them because, you know, they were the idea yeah. of Victorian follies would have a bit from every period. So they yeah. probably would have been one. It probably would have been, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, but it's just the way he says, you know, it's just <laughs> typical doctor. Uh, any particular moments that you loved uh, making, Alex? Only what I've mentioned already about the opening scene where we first see the TARDIS and I think uh, Terence describes it as a time I'm trying to think because there are quite a few in this one I think uh, where Sarah shoots at the rocket to stop it you know to stop it going off and nothing happens is a great bit oh yes and the bits where the Doctor pretends to be taken over by Sutek and they have to go through all the sort of tests to get to Sutek's pyramid on Mars which is just brilliantly described Mike any others for you Mike? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned as well the epilogue and the the moment in the TARDIS at the beginning when Doctor mistakes Sarah for Victoria. Yes, yeah, that's a that's a lovely scene, isn't it? We think that um, sort of looking back to the past is quite a modern thing in Doctor, but it, they were doing it then, look, weren't they? Little, yes, little mentions back into the past, you know, of what's happened previously. On this edition of Who's on Target, we have a bonus for listeners. It's an interview recorded with Cameron K. McEwen, creator of the Blog to Who website. Who's on Target spoke to Cameron at a recent Torchwood convention about his memories of Target books. When I was wee, which was late 70s, early 80s, uh, going to the library, which I guess people might still go to libraries, I don't know. Um, When I was wee, I would go every week, sometimes you know, more than a week, just depending, and that would be the trip, the family trip to the library, which seems now so quaint and so distant, but... Um, and I remember I was a big fan of the Asterix books I'd always go look for Asterix books but I was a huge Doctor Who fan of course and I discovered the Target books there because at the time I don't 
I didn't know about merchandise or toys, I was just wee. So that, that my first experience of Doctor Who outside of television was the Target books. And of course I didn't really realise that a lot of these books were previously broadcast. So every week I would just go in and I'd see a new book. And I remember the joy I felt on finding an unearthly child. This must have been after a few years of reading the books because I knew that it was the first one. And the cover was amazing. I think it might have even been a reprint, I don't know. But it was the TARDIS. Not quite the same as it is on TV, but in, it looked like it's in some kind of disused factory wow. on the cover. And I, I remember, I can still remember the joy of finding that. You go, yes, I got it! Uh, that and Planet of the Spiders are the two that I remember because the Planet of the Spiders cover uh, was horrific for a young young boy. Um, but what, the book that I really, that sticks in my head is the Android Invasion. Now, I, I didn't see the Android Invasion on first airing. So that was my first experience, as it was for, I guess, a lot of Doctor Who fans. Your first experience of a lot of stories are the books, which kids these days, they oh. get it easy. They can see Doctor Who whatever they bloody like. Um, but Android Invasion, I remember the opening of that, that book and the amazing description of the village and how nobody was there, yeah. it was desolate. And to me, it was absolutely fascinating. And I, it took me maybe 20 years before I actually saw it yes um, and it, it's not quite as good no. there's a problem with the target books they're so good that when you see the actual television yes. version which it's based on it's not as good which is an incredible thing for a writer to make you know you're, you're basing it on a TV show and yet you've made it better in the book you've made it much more vivid much more live I should say I love the Android version yes and I, I love uh, Tom and Liz and I think they're amazing it's a great story I think it's underappreciated because it's, it's sandwiched between stone cold classics yes. I would say I would give it 9 out of 10 where they're all 10 out of 10 yes. um, but that book that, that opening uh, I can still I can still think of myself reading it and going oh, this is exciting you know what, what's going on everyone loves a good mystery that, that would be the one Planet of the Spiders possibly second because it was one I'd searched for and I thought, oh, it's got spiders and it's got, you know, two doctors in it, if you like. Yeah, it's a um, regeneration. Yeah. So, yeah, Target books, it's, it's funny to think now because I don't really read novels, uh, Doctor Who novels these days. Um, I just don't have the time. Sorry, everyone. That's um, okay. <laughs> but, when, you know, when you're young, when you're six till twelve, that's what you got, you know. Right, you yeah. I mean, we stressed that. Didn't have podcast, a VH, yeah, yeah. Didn't have a VHS, so that that's what you got. But um, yeah, Android Invasion. Yeah. That's the one, and it's got a great cover as well. Yeah, that's got, one of the things with the Target books is you always think of the covers as well. And you after can, a while, yeah, they went to photos in the eighties of the Davison era, and they, which, people really seem to dislike those photos. Which I, I mean, I think they have a, a, a certain quality about them. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good quality, <laughs> but they're certainly still recognisable. Yes. Like stuff like the visitation and, oh, yes. uh, and stuff like that. The shock, famous picture of those and holding the guns. Yeah. So it, to me, they're still vivid and kind of eye-catching, but in a different and less impressive way. I kind of like the... Because they're quite simple. Yes. But I love seeing the 80s logo. Yeah. <laughs> the 80s logo on anything, to me, oh, is fantastic, good. Yeah. I love that logo. People have said, would you like to see Target adaptations of the new... Yeah, series stories. I I think it would be an interesting thing to do. I, I get the feeling Moffat and Russell are both massive fans of Target books, so yeah, they'd probably love it. to have a chance well, to they, write one. They like us. They would have been huge fans, and why they? I'm guessing there's a reason why they didn't happen. Right. But 
who knows why. I think it'd be great to have like a copy of Rose. Uh, oh yes. Or or Doctor Who and the Ottoman Invasion, as they might call it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the titles of them would be great. Yes. You know, Doctor Who and the Army of Ghosts, or oh, uh, yes. Doctor Who and the, and the Satan Pit. And the Big Bang. Yeah, awesome. Doctor Who and the Big Bang. <laughs> the Time of Angels. <laughs> but that would be great. And like, uh, get a quick plug in. My books are have artwork by Andrew Skeletor, who did oh, okay. such amazing work in the Target. Brilliant. Range. Brilliant. Book, but yes. I would love to see him like do a like a, a cover for a new Who, which. In the, the book of lists, the new one, he's done a few that are like covers of a would-be book, like Unicorn and the Wasp, he's done a great bit of artwork. But I would love to see them do target novelisations yeah. without you, and I think they could at least give it a try. As well as being known for the Blog to Who website, Cameron has also written two books on Doctor Who. The first, The Who's Who of Doctor Who, was published worldwide, and his second, Doctor Who, The Big Book of Lists, was published in 2015. 2014 also saw the release of his documentary film Who's Changing? An Adventure in Time with Fans, which screened at various film festivals in North America and the UK. It's now available to own on DVD. On this podcast, we'd like to talk about the covers of the Target books, and The Pyramids of Mars is another one by the excellent artist Chris Achilleos. Um, Your thoughts on it, Greg? Well, I have to say that um, Chris Achilleos is probably my favourite Doctor Who Target cover artist, but... This one, as I mentioned earlier, um, the, the book is very, very special to me. And because of that, I think, so is the cover. I, it's just magical. I love this cover. The red of danger, that deep blue of the Doctor Who. But Tom Baker's Doctor looks like he's about to do business on it. And of course, Sarah, she's there with that gun backing up. And she's looking that mummy straight in the eye. And the, the mummy is just so imposing. I love the way the design of it has been really captured in Chris Achilleos' drawings. I just think it's an absolute one of the best um, Target covers. It, it's it's frightening. It shows the real intent of the book. I, I absolutely love it. What, what about you, Mike? Yeah, I agree to a certain extent. I mean, I was quite taken aback by how sort of stern-faced they both look on the cover. As you've just described, it's really sort of imposing and it kind of works for the tone of the story, I think. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? it? It does match the tone of the story. This this, this is serious, isn't it? it? There's no flippant laughing doctor here with loads of teeth on display, is there? No, no, no. He uh, he knows the threat to the universe, so he uh, appropriately faced for it, we could say, couldn't we? Yes. <laughs> He's wearing the appropriate expression. He absolutely. There's also two reprints of this book. One in right. 1982 and one in 1993. Yourself and I saw the other one a few weeks ago and we weren't that impressed. It was just a picture of a sarcophagus. I think that was a 1980s edition. But I agree with you. It doesn't say Doctor Who. That's the problem. I know it says Doctor Who on the cover, but as you pointed out, it's got no Tom and Liz on it. It's just got... It It, it looks like um, the tomb of Tutankhamun. That's right, isn't it? It's sort of famous. That's the most famous, really. That is the most yeah, famous sarcophagus. It, there has ever been in history, really, isn't it? And so what do you make of that one? I think it's an improvement on the second, you know, it's... Oh, I like it. It's quite cinematic, actually, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. It's got Soutet. Um, He looks quite scared. No, that is the mask. That's the correct mask. Everything is right here. Yeah, again, Tom is looking very serious. It's quite dramatic with that sort of space background as well. Yeah, it, I mean, I would still say it's not a patch on the original, but it's a big improvement on that uh, the other reissue. Again, Tom looks like he means business. He does, absolutely, absolutely. I, I would still say, though, 
that on this cover, the design of it, Doctor Who isn't writ large over the cover. Yeah, the Sylvester McCoy title looked very small. Um, it's difficult to read Doctor Who. Um, you know, you can see Who, but even that is square and um, it's not. I it's just. I think it's quite poorly designed in that sense. I don't know if it's that special place that it has in my heart, but the the book is superb. The audio recording of Tom is superb. The TV series is an absolute classic. I love it, and it's my first. 10 on who's on target your first tenant uh how are we alex what do you want to go uh for? well i'm afraid i'm going to join greg because i couldn't physically find anything wrong with it i i sat there for about an hour after listening to the audiobook and i went through it in my head and there was absolutely nothing wrong with it from start to finish Yay. it's brilliant so. <laughs> now can i just say you've reinvigorated me now I, i'm gonna change my opinion because i said to greg earlier on i thought there was a bit too much going on in the book for me you know mm. Because it was so engrossing, so intense, I had to listen to it two or three times to get the gist of everything. Yeah. So I was thinking, I'm in an arm between eight and nine. But. <laughs> Go with your you've got, you've My got, heart at the yeah. moment, because I've heard your views, because it's elevated the story even more for me, I'm going to give it a Capaldi. I'm going to give it a 12 out of 10. What? <laughs> <laughs> turn it up to 11, turn it up to Smith, and we'll go one further up to Capaldi. So it's superb. It's the best one we've. It is the best one we've reviewed so far. I think definitely, so. definitely. Yeah, yeah, it is. And the overall, the overall scores, scores are a ten from Greg. Yep. A ten from Alex, and after some debate and deliberation, a ten from me. It's perfect score. Yay. Yay! Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and if you wish to get in contact with us, there are a number of ways uh, online you can do that. Twitter handle at Who's On Target. Who's on target at gmail.com email address and the Who's on Target Facebook page and Who's on Target WordPress page. We really would like to hear from you. There's not a lot of hits happening at the moment, but um, no, we... we'd really like to hear your views on the podcast because we know there's quite a, a number of a few thousand downloads and we'd really like a bit more feedback from our audience. We'd like to make this more interactive. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And next time on Who's on Target, we're going to be reviewing the fifth Doctor story, Frontios, by Christopher H. Bidmead. on target podcast five featured greg james michael winks and alexander gibbons who appeared via video call doctor who theme music composed by delia Davisha, ron grainer arrangement for this podcast by youtube user andy keys music who's on target podcast five was recorded in swansea south wales during may 2015